track, but uh, of our series called Good and Beautiful Life. We're going through the book Good and Beautiful Life, and uh, basically that whole book's premise is uh, when, when somebody dies, we typically say, oh, they went to a better place. The whole book's premise is that we can make here a better place. And the way we do that is to invite God's rule and reign into our lives in every aspect. And so that's what this book is about, and it's based on uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is the first recorded sermon that Jesus did. It might not have been his first sermon, but it's the first one that somebody decided, we should probably write this stuff down. And so uh, they wrote down the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, it's found in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. And... um, What we've been doing is talking about these different ways in which Jesus says, hey, you don't need to live like that. Um, You don't need to lie. To get to, to try to manipulate what's going on. You don't need to try, to try to maneuver and try to push people aside in order to get your way. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't need to lust. You don't have to create a fantasy um, that, that has what you would call like the perfect life. Uh, God doesn't meet us in our fantasy. He meets us in reality. And you don't, you don't need to fantasize about this or about that. He says, you don't have to get even. You can actually bless those who curse you. Like even when you're insulted, you don't have to be bound by that, controlled by that influence of somebody um, uh, you know, hurting you. You don't, you don't have to do that anymore. He says, oh, hey, you don't have to self-promote. You don't have to worry about, like, if I don't talk about my accomplishments, who's going to know about it? Or you don't have to, um, you know, in every little thing you do kind of show, look what I did. You know, you, that might work for when you're growing up and you're showing your parents, but now that you're an adult, now that you've moved on, you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to do that kind of stuff. He says, uh, Uh, You don't have to worry about your possessions. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the idea of our possessions. And what does it mean to um, have God take care of all of the different things as it results to wealth and things like that. And so, um, hold on, this thing isn't working. There we go. Sorry about that. This is why Jesus didn't have an iPad. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, And so, um, there we go. Thank you. So, uh, Let me just give you kind of the idea. When Jesus showed up uh, on the scene, he said these words, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now this word repent, depending on how you grew up, if you grew up in church, um, if you grew up in a fundamental church or a Catholic church or one that was really authoritarian, this idea of repent should have a little bit of fear attached to it, like repent, like this is, I should say this and repent, you know, and that's the lowest my voice goes. I'm kind of like Mickey Mouse in that way, but um, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst, and that just sounds overwhelming, um, but, but the idea of repentance, and this Greek word repentance, means to change your mind. And so oftentimes we think of repentance as, I've done this thing, and it's bad, and so I feel bad, and I go before God, and I say, God, I feel really bad. And to the extent you can feel bad, that's the extent you've repented. Okay, so if you don't feel bad, you haven't really repented. If you did feel really bad, you repented. And so then you go back and you do that thing again. Ah, oh, then you come back, God, this time I'm this time I promise. Rip my clothes. I promise I'll never do it again. Then you do it again and then you feel bad. And that's kind of the cycle of repentance. This is not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is you go and you make your mistake and you go before God and you say, God, I'm so sorry. I I, I don't want to do that. 
And then you go back and you do it again. You come back and say, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't want to do that. And then you go back and you go, before you do it, why am I doing this? <laughs> what am I trying to accomplish with this sin? What, what, what do I think I'm going to get out of it? What am I substituting instead of having God meet that need? What am I trying to substitute? That is the idea of changing one's mind. And so we talked about it this way. Repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst could be said this way. Change the way you've been thinking. A life with intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. You can actually, prior to sinning, begin to think to yourself, Hey, God, I don't want to go after this with my own resources. I want your resources. I I want what you want for my life. I believe you love me. I believe you've got my back. And so when you tell me not to do something, it's probably because it's not good for me. How can, I, how can I not do that? That's the idea of repentance. And so what we've been saying every week is this. This whole series is about allowing God to be God in everything. In our future, in our relationships, at school. Allowing God to be God as we go to cl- our different classes. Allowing God to be God if we have a roommate or, or, or whatever our living situation is, if we're living with our family or if we're not married yet and we've got roommates or what have you, just uh, allowing God to be God in that. Allowing God to be God if we're on the, on the exit of a relationship and we're trying to figure out what's my next step, what do I do in the meantime here? Allowing God to be God in that. Allowing God to be God if we're on the on-ramp of a relationship and we're thinking, you know, wh- wh- how do I honor God in this relationship? Allowing God to be God in everything. Well, one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning is probably one of the biggest things that you and I face every single day. Um, and, and certainly our culture is uh, faces every day and has a narrative. We've been talking about this word narrative that culture has these false narratives and that's just a fancy word for school of thought or way of thinking. So when Jesus says change the way you're thinking, he's saying change your narrative, change your school of thought. And the school of thought in our culture is this, things bring happiness. And this shows up, I mean, if you want to open your eyes to it, of course, I have the privilege of being able to go through this slowly all week long in order to prepare a sermon. But as you go from here and you just go home and you just flip on the game, watch the commercials and watch this, you will be bombarded over and over and over and over and over again. That the thing you have isn't good enough, that this next thing is going to be better, that you can't get enough things, that things bring happiness. And oftentimes things are the badge of honor that our culture does to say you're successful or you're successful or even worse, you have value or you don't have value based on your things. And so that's the false narrative of our culture. Things bring happiness. If you just get the next best thing, it'll solve whatever problem it is that you need to have solved. Well, Jesus comes along in his Sermon on the Mount, and he gives a different narrative, obviously. One that, that, uh, uh, that kind of speaks to this a little bit. And even with this narrative, we know this. It's, it's not like you need to even believe in the Bible to know this is a false narrative. But because we're surrounded by so many images and so many things, and we, 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 on the one hand, we tell our kids, 
you know, trusting God, trusting God, and get into a good college. <laughs> like, like, we have these two things. It's like, you know, um, you know, I'm so proud of my son or daughter. You know, they're a person of character, and they're a lawyer. Like, like we have these, these, these things that we, we, we know, but we still buy into the culture of, uh, of making however much money or having a certain title. So here's, here's Jesus' narrative, and he starts off, um, with this statement, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, we in our small group, uh, like any good small group, we immediately tried to find loopholes um, and, and say, well, what does it really mean to store up? You know, because if you were to come to my house, and we all have that idea, if you come to my house, I'm not storing anything up. I can barely stay ahead. And so, so um, this, it's, it's kind of weird. If you're into the Greek, like, like the Bible, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and then it was written down in Greek, and now we're looking at it in English. That store up is the same Greek word as treasure. So it's, it's, it's like this. Don't treasure up for yourselves treasures. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the, the thing. Don't, don't just really have a mindset that's going after these things. Now, the Greek word for treasure is the word thesaurus. That's the word. So if you, you have a thesaurus, you now know Greek. That's the Greek word for treasures. And all a thesaurus is, is a treasury of words. And so if you're talking to somebody or you're writing something and you're like, that doesn't really say exactly what I want to say. You'd go to a thesaurus and you'd look through the list of words and you'd go, that's exactly what I need for this moment. Here's what the scripture is saying. Don't make things what you go to when you need something for the moment. Don't look at things as something like, oh, I'm, I, I, that, that'll solve this particular problem. This thing will solve this problem. Now, like I said, I have this, uh, I get the luxury of being able to go through the scriptures slowly during the week. And, 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 and as you know me well enough, I take it and I apply, try to apply it to myself to see what's going on in my own brain when I look at these scriptures. And one of the places I love to go to, and my wife will attest to this, even if I'm just leaning on a shopping cart, I love to walk around Costco, um, even when it's busy, even when it's like filled with people. Because here's my belief. Costco is filled, I can use everything they have. Like there's not an aisle, okay, maybe the liquor aisle, maybe that's the only thing I don't, but I can walk down any aisle and go, oh, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what aisle. Like uh, supplements, you know, you know, Epicure lady razors, it doesn't matter. I just, I just look at the stuff at any aisle, like tennis. I think I was thinking about picking up tennis, you know, and I'm looking at the tennis rackets and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and Costco is like my thesaurus of treasures. Plus, if you time it right, you can get lunch there free, right? <laughs> if you're willing to wait. They have this spinach chicken lasagna. Mmm, good stuff. And then you, you, have you ever done the thing where you try to pretend that you're talking to somebody? Do you want one too? And you're, you can take two. It's a great trick, you know. And you, Grandma? Okay. And one for the thing? It's awesome. Um, but anyway, so, so I love Costco because Costco's filled. I, I could use every single thing in Costco. Now, obviously, when you think about that and you look back at me, you're probably judging me like, dude, what's your problem? 
you can't use every little thing in Costco. Well, I would push back and assert to you again that I could. But, but we all know, well, that's, that's silly. And now, I was in Costco this week, and I thought what I'd do is I'd, I'd really challenge myself. What is really going through my mind? And so I got on my shopping cart. I kind of lean on it. I like doing that. I was just walking around the shopping cart. And I saw this. I don't know if you remember seeing your spouse for the first time. And you're like, oh, man, that's what happened with this drill set. Okay. <laughs> so there was this thing of drill bits. And it was, they take it, you know, they put the things out on the aisle. You almost have to like walk around it. That's what they had. And I thought, oh, I said, okay, I'm preaching on this on Sunday. This is fantastic. What's going through my mind? Why am I drawn to this thing of drill bits? And so I really, I just started analyzing myself. And I'm like, okay, well, I really, I like the packaging. You know, it's shiny. It's new. That's, I like that. And I, I'm like, what else do I like about it? And, I, and, and, and one of the nice things about it was it was clear. See how excited I'm getting? It, it was clear and I could see everything in there. And there was this, there was this um, thing of like nut drivers in there. And there's a thing of... Um, uh, drill bits that were all like perfect in a row. Now, now, mind you, I have all of that at home. Like, I already have a set of nut drivers, both standard and metric. I don't need. I don't need that. And then, and there was these uh, different size of um, screwdriver bits and stuff, and they were all in a row. And I, I have those at home. There were there were drill bits in there. I have two sets of drill bits at home. I've got one set that I use to just drill stuff that I like rocks and whatever. I don't even care. I just start drilling stuff. Then there's another set that you're not even allowed to look at. That's my special set. And you know, I, if you touch it, you, then I take the bad drill bit and I just start drilling you to get you away from it. Like I didn't need those things. But as I began to... Con- like question myself and analyze this this potential purchase I thought I I could remember I could think of a time when I might need that like it's all packaged great and it would be great just to grab it and go and that's what I needed I needed a thesaurus I needed to store it in my garage so that when I needed it if that ever happened I'd have it this is exactly what Jesus is saying not to do. I was, try, I was trying to convince myself that it was okay to do exactly what Jesus was telling me not to do. Don't store up for yourself stuff just because you might need it at some point. Okay? Now he goes on and he gives this really practical thing. He says, where moth and vermin and uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Like, Like if you're going to, first of all, you can't really store it up well. It doesn't last. If you went and you bought a bunch of clothes right now that you thought was awesome just in case you needed them in six months or a year, if you're into clothes, they wouldn't wouldn't work anymore because we're so culture conscious, I mean fashion conscious. So he's like, like, it wears out. It it, it doesn't, so he goes, instead of that, Instead of trying to fill that need of, well, what if, what if, what if? He says, I got a better idea for you. He says this. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, maybe I'm just really not spiritual at all. <laughs> and, 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 but like I said, I try to apply this stuff to myself as best I can during the week. 
that's not exciting, really. Like, like storing up for myself treasures in heaven, like, then I'll be dead, though. Like, and I already get heaven, so, like, heaven's probably good enough. Like, why would I need treasures in heaven? Like, like I, and so if it came down between this thing of drill bits or, like, this little thing in heaven, like, personally, I'd, I'd, I'd be drawn towards the drill bits because I can't even comprehend heaven. Am I just evil? Like, am I just a bad person? I don't know. But I look at that, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I'd probably go for the drill bits because I don't understand this. That's why I'm so thankful that Jesus kept talking. He, he kept trying to, he, he doesn't just say, oh, and here, because here's what I'm trying to get at, okay? Oftentimes, we think that a life with Jesus is this pie in the sky, by and by thing. Oh, well, someday, someday, someday. And I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you just trust me for a little bit, you're going to see that that treasure in heaven is really what I prayed about just a chapter ago. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So he goes on. So he tells us about these treasures. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and, and vermin, which is just a great word, talk about a thesaurus, uh, where uh, moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break it, it, in and steal. So he's saying, essentially, the treasures of heaven, whether you can understand them or not, are way, are way better than the treasures on earth. The things you're trying to store and use, and this will solve this, my problem for this, and this will solve my problem for that, and if I could just get this, this would be the perfect thing for that. All that, he's like, the treasures in heaven... It doesn't wear out. And so, so he, he goes into this great thing. And we probably, even if you're new to Christianity, you've probably heard what he says next. You've probably heard this before. Because it gets to the root of what he's trying to say. He says this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now, this is, this is key for us. Because let's say you're not even a Christian. Let's take God out of the equation. Do you want your treasure to be with things or with your relationships? Do do you want your treasure to be your career or do you want your treasure to be your spouse? Or or your significant other or or whatever. Let me put it this way. Where do you want your heart to be? Invest in that. And so Jesus is saying this. He's saying where your treasure is, where you spend all your energy, where you, whether, and it doesn't have to be just things. It can be your looks. It can be your, your intellect. You're so smart, and that's, that's the thesaurus you go to, your knowledge. And in any given situation, you can just go to your knowledge and go, oh, this is, I'm going to rely on this. I'm going to rely on my looks. I'm going to rely on my athleticism. I'm going to rely on my, mu- I'm a good musician, or pick whatever it is. He's like, he's like the thing that you go to, that's where your heart's going to be. And this is his point. And so he, he moves on. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, now, basically, this is a fancy way of saying perspective is everything. If your perspective is that that raise or that promotion is what's going to satisfy your needs, it's going to jack you up. That's 
another Greek word that we'll get to later. That's what he's saying. He says, if that's your perspective, that that new thing is really going to, it's like, man, it's going to mess you up. You're going you're gonna to just keep investing. You're going to keep investing your heart into these things, and it's never, ever, ever going to satisfy. How many times, and I'm just speaking to myself, and if it applies to you, great. Did you sign something or pay for something, and you thought to yourself, this is awesome? Only to realize later it turned out to be a curse. If you've ever done that with a lease, maybe a car payment or whatever, and you're just like, this is going to be great. Or a house, maybe it's a house payment, something as big as that or, uh, you know, whatever. We, you just like go, okay, good, this will solve the problem. And it ends up being an albatross around your neck. He says, that if your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Here's what he's saying. If you're trying to get meaning and purpose out of life through things, you're really jacked up. <laughs> That's a great darkness. Like, like if you're trying to assign your value, you've been created in the image of God. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, some easier than others, right? <laughs> He knows how many days you're going to live. If you're assigning your value to what's in your closet, oh man, that's, that life is going to be a waste. So he moves on. He gets even more personal. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. Now, really what Jesus is doing here is what he's been doing all along in this sermon. To the extent you want control, and to the extent you want to rely on your own resources, you're going to edge out God. That's all he's saying. So if you think, like when he talked about lying, if you think that you need to lie in order to get ahead... Or you, you need to lie about certain things because you don't want, we lie, remember we lie based on fear. Either, either we're afraid something will happen or we're afraid something won't happen. And so if you want to do that, you're going to edge out God. And God says, well, how, you know, it's not going to work for you, but go ahead. We talked about anger. We, anger is just, is just our, it's our reaction. We want to react. We need to show the injustice. And, and so we edge out God in that. Lust is just us, instead of embracing reality, we create fantasy. And in doing that, we edge out God because God doesn't meet us in our fantasy. He meets us in reality. So we get to possessions. Jesus says the same thing. You cannot serve both God and, and money. You can't do it. Now, how, how does serving money show up in our lives? It shows up in a couple ways and one is that we buy things in order to make us feel good. And so, and so the, the purchasing, and this is, this is if you want to get to, you know, like a culture war, this is America. I mean, you buy things. I mean, when 9-11 happened, what did George Bush say? Go to the mall. I mean, come on. Keep, keep it going. You know, you got to keep the engine running, Okay. But there's another thing, and this is the one I relate to most, and that is that, that having the money becomes our God. 
And so there are some people who you'll talk to and they'll go, oh, I don't buy any, I don't, you know, I'm on a tight budget, I got all this kind of stuff. But it's, it's the accumulation of wealth that becomes the God. That money, it's the same God, money, but it's just how it's expressed. It's your act of worship. Do you worship by spending or do you worship by saving? The underlying thing is, I need it. I need it. I need money. Now, the reality is, we all need money. I mean, go ahead and try to, you know, eat without money. But this goes deeper than that. There's, it's fear-based. Like, if I don't have enough, then what? Or I, if I just had one more level, or I'm going to fight for what is owed to me, because if I don't, then I won't get this or that. And Jesus says, you can't do it. And here's, here's the point I want to make. I wrote this down. It's not that God requires too much. It's that money requires too much. Money is a bad God. It requires everything from you. And it's never enough. I wrote some stuff down uh, that I just wanted to show the, the difference between the God our Heavenly Father, and the God of money. God wants your relationships to flourish. God wants you to be in a health, have your relationships be healthy, whether that's a healthy marriage, whether that's a healthy relationship with your kids, whether it's healthy relationships at school with your friends, um, whether it's a roommate, maybe, you know, maybe you're single and you've got a roommate. God wants all those relationships to flourish. Money would sacrifice all those relationships. Have you ever watched somebody in a family die and see what happens to the family over that estate? That's money doing that to that family. Money requires that you you bite and you scratch and you money requires that you have conversations with your parents before they die to make sure that you're getting what you deserve, which is horrible for a relationship. Money requires that. Money requires in business that if I don't cheat you or you don't cheat me, then it doesn't, then we're not getting everything we can out of the deal and all this kind of stuff so that our relationship is, is, is strained because of money. Money requires that stuff. Money demands that your relationships do not uh, flourish. Money uh, means that you're at work all the time, 60, 70, 80 hours a week with this this thing in the future called retirement or college. And so our whole time with our kids is wasted at the altar of money because we think if we don't keep working, what's going to happen? Money has us go in to debt for Christmas. Money wants those relations. Money wants us to be at home. And when somebody wants something or we talk about something, we start arguing over it. Why do you need that? Why? Money just loves that stuff. Money's a, a bad God. Bad God. Okay, sorry. I just came out. That was awesome. Uh, God wants us to be free. All these things, free from needing to lie, free from being angry, free from needing to lust, free from all that stuff. Money requires we go into debt. Money isn't even happy when you give it all your money. It says, I got a new thing called a credit card. You can give me all your current money and your future money. I want all of it. 
And so we do, and we just, we just rack it up, rack it up, and it becomes this big stress, and it ruins our relationships, and we become in bondage. The Bible says that the lender is slave, uh, the, uh, the borrower is slave to the lender. Money wants you to be its slave. With God, there's enough. Matter of fact, that's one of God's big things. It's enough. All through the scripture, if you look up the word contentment, you'll see, if I have food and I have clothing with this, I'll be content. Content, content, content. There's enough. There's enough. With money, there's never enough. You probably make more now than you did a decade ago, and you still wish you had more, and you'll probably make more a decade later, but it will never, ever, ever be enough. Because money, with money, it's never enough. With God, things are eternal. They last forever. The return on investment is awesome. You invest a dollar, you get a trillion dollars, okay? Well, not dollars, but with money, it, it, just, it just goes right through your fingers. Money's a bad God. Now, what I want to do real quick is I want to just look at somebody who is able to, to make it, you know, because you think to yourself, well, gosh, how do, I, how do I do this, you know? How do I get out of this God, like this God of money? I don't want to serve that God of money. It ruins my relationships. It's never enough, all, all this kind of stuff. What, what do I do? Well, there was the Apostle Paul who, who kind of made it. He, he, he went around, he planted churches all over the place. His life was very stressful. He was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked. He came close to death. Um, he's been po- po- impoverished. You know, all this kind of stuff. He's had just this horrible life, but then he's had some pretty high highs as well. He, he, um, uh, he's planted churches. People have given him stuff. He's got all these rich relationships. And so Paul's writing from prison. And so you'd think from prison, you know, he'd be kind of like, and by the way, I'm in prison and this is lame. Um, but for some reason, Paul is handling stuff really well. And so he writes this letter. It's essentially a thank you letter to the church at Philippi. So Paul's in prison, the church finds out about it, and it's like, let's write him a note, and let's, you know, stick a little something-something in there to kind of brighten his day, okay? And that, that's what happens. They send Paul a gift. And watch what Paul says. This is super important. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last, I don't know if he's like, like finally, I don't know if he's doing that to them, probably not, but at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. Now, I, I want you to understand this. Paul is rejoicing in the gift. And, and so what happens when you start talking about money and things, possessions and all that, um, the church does a good job of going to extremes a lot of times. And one of the extremes the church goes to is, is the prosperity doctrine. And that doctrine is that God, when God is truly blessing you, when you're really by faith and you've really done everything, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to show up in your bottom line. You give 10%, you get 10 times and it's a great, it's a great thing. Okay. The problem with that doctrine is Jesus says, why would Jesus bless you with the competing God? Like, why would Jesus say, man, you're so faithful, you're so faithful, I'm going to give you mammon, the very thing that can become, that can get in the way. That's like saying, uh, you know, you've been really great, I'm going to, God's going to bless you with a casino. Like, why would he do that? Like, why would he bless you with that? And the pendulum can also swing the other way to say this, that you can't have anything 
That's the poverty doctrine. That's, that's like, you know, how, how dare you, you know, drive a BMW while this person is this and this person is that. And that, that's the poverty doctrine. Paul's saying, I got a Christmas bonus and I'm really stoked about it, <laughs> okay? Like, thank you for that. This is great. But he feels the need to say, look, we're not going prosperity doctrine here, okay? And so he says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not saying, I haven't been sitting in prison this whole time going, once I get out, my life, then everything will be okay. Once this happens, then this. He's like, no, no, no. I, I'm not saying that. He says this. I have learned. That particular phrasing should be incredibly encouraging to you. It's because Living with contentment is not intuitive. It is not natural for humans to be content. So if you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I'm not content. Like I'm always thinking about the next thing. By the time I bought the one thing, I'm like, you know, I don't know if, if, if you buy something and then you see the new one come out and you're like, Ugh, you know, right? Like, like that. That's okay. That's natural. That's probably how Paul was. Paul had to learn this. And so wherever you are in your journey of not worshiping money or not worshiping wealth, that's all right. You're, it takes a little bit of time. But he goes on. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Now let's go back to what Jesus was saying about treasures in heaven. Which would be better? For you to be able to buy all the things that make you happy whenever you want or to not need to buy anything because you're always happy. Which would be better to, 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 to get to a place financially where you're set and you just know, okay, good, I'm set. Or to be in a place in life that no matter what your circumstance is, whether you have a lot of money, you have no money, you, you have lots of things, you have the latest and greatest, or you have the oldest thing in the world, you just go, this is fantastic. This is what Paul's saying. I've learned this, to be content in whatever circumstance. Now, now if you're like the readers in Philippi, you, you should be kind of going, well, that would be cool. <laughs> I'd kind of like to be that way. I'd like to be able to drive my same car forever and not even really think about it. I'd like to have the same dishes, the same blouse, the same uh, drill set, whatever. I mean, I just, I just like to really just be able to walk home and go, I've arrived. And that's your apartment <laughs> or whatever it is. To just kind of go, I made it. I did it. So he goes on and he, he gets even, his language gets really cool. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. Now, if you, if, if you ever study Greek or whatever, this is so cool what he says. This word, I have learned the secret, is just one Greek word, or learn, learn the secret. And, and, and it's not used anywhere in the Bible, now, for us, we think, okay, well, who, what's the big deal? But if you're in Greece and you saw this, you'd go, what, what's Paul talking about? In Greece, they had this cult. 
It's the Elysis cult. And if you, if you took a map of Greece, there'd be Athens. And right next to Athens is this uh, city called um, Eleusis, okay? E-L-E-U-S-I-S, I think it is. And it was the Eleusinian cult. It was very popular, okay? And they would have this initiation. So the best I could do is like anyone who went to college and joined a fraternity, <laughs> it was kind of like that. You, you made it into the brotherhood or, or a sorority into the sisterhood or, you know, maybe you've been involved in something, you know, whatever, some crazy like secret society, like you're, an, you know, like you own an iPhone or something. But, uh, okay, so you, he says, this is the word he used. He said, I've been initiated into the mysteries. This was the word they'd use for this particular cult. And it was all secret. And so Paul takes this. They would have known this when they read it. They would have, they would have kind of seen that and gone, whoa, that, that there's a secret society in like Christianity? There is. It's the secret society of contentment. It's, it's, it's the elusive cult of contentment that just content people kind of get it. And this is the language Paul's using. I've learned the secret of being content in every and all situations. Now, they would be like, well, what is it? <laughs> you know, what's the secret? Well, what's the secret of being content in every and all situations? That, as we've talked about, is way better than having all this money that you know you could lose in a bad, one bad investment or the market could turn around or we could continue in the drought or you could contract Ebola or whatever the fear is. Like, like, like we know that that can't... What about this idea of contentment, though, that, trans, that goes beyond all of these things? He says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to invite God into my finances. And if there's a place where I think buying something is going to give me happiness, fulfill that need, I'm going to press into Jesus. I'm going to have him fulfill that need. I'm not going to let it be my outward appearance or my technology or my tools or the, a bigger house or granite countertops or whatever. I'm, I'm not going to let it be that. I'm going to let Christ fulfill those needs. As we've been talking about throughout the weeks, stewardship is greater than kingship. God does not call us to be kings, to walk through a store and to say, I would like that, and I'd like that, and I'd like that, and I would like to uh, put that in my uh, family room, that in my living room, that in my kitchen. I really need that, and just kind of walk with your entourage behind you, and, 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 and it's kingship. It's stewardship. Every dollar I've earned, everything I have in my house is the Lord's. Everything I own, is God's. And what am I going to do with it to serve him rather than to serve wealth? I want to go over just a few things that you can do. And I, before I do that, I just want to push back a little bit on, on um, so, sometimes you hear a lot about church and, 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 and maybe you've thought this yourself or maybe you're new. Maybe you're just like right back into church again. It's been a long time and you're thinking to yourself, what do you know? <laughs> I come back into church and they're talking about money. We hear that a lot. Some the churches talk about money and all this kind of stuff. But let me, just, let me just poke you back a little bit. 
you talk about money a lot. It's not just church. You talk about money all the time. As a matter of fact, if you would just sit and think for a little bit and just give yourself a little bit of space and kind of get away from it all, analyze yourself and think about how much you think, talk, act, wish, all about money. So, so, so I would just push back a little bit and go, before you kind of just dismiss it, think about how much you think about money. If you're married... How much do you talk about money? And see, part of the problem with the church is this, and part of the problem with a pastor is this, is that the church or the pastor talks about money a lot because the Bible talks about money a lot, and it's kind of our job to talk about the Bible. And in doing so, guess what comes up 800 times in the Bible? Money. The other thing that happens is we get to sit with different couples And we get to sit with different people and we see how money has destroyed their relationship. We see how this tight-fistedness or the overindulgence ruins relationships. And so we talk about money. And so when I get into some of these things you can do, you might look at it and go, I knew it. Or you might want to rethink it and just go, you know, maybe there is a reason why we talk about money quite a bit. Because All I'm going to show you is some things I've seen in other people's lives who have this mystery of the cult of contentment. These are common denominators that I see in their lives. Okay? Here's one of them. They pre-decide on giving. They pre-decide. Now, for those in the church, that pre-decision usually comes from the biblical uh, idea of tithe, 10%. That they say... God has given me all this money. I take 10% of it and I give it back to God. Of those people that I know that do that, and I don't look at any of the records of anybody here at church, so I don't know. But but when I find out, like if someone tells me or we're talking, those people most often than not have been blessed with this gift of contentment. I don't know if there's a correlation or not. That's up to you to decide. But they pre-decide. And so you would sit with your money and you'd pre-decide how much of a percentage am I giving to God? And you deal with God on that, not with your pastor. You sit and you go, God, you've given me this money. Um, Don't say I'm going to give you $1,000. Say I'm going to give you 1% of that money or 2% or 3% or 10%. For some people, they get 10% and God's calling them to give 12. I don't know. But that's between, they pre-decide, this is what I'm giving. So it's, it's an incredibly spiritual conversation that you have with God in that. Secondly, they pre-decide on spending. So that spending isn't just the need-based thing of like, oh, I want it, I got it. I want it, I got it. Press the button, fire the endorphins. Woo, that feels good, you know. It's like, you know, credit card. Yeah, oh, that felt fantastic. It's like, no, no, no. I'm going to pre-decide on giving. You know, you know what I found on spending? You meet God just as much there as you do in the, in the giving part of going, God, how much should of my, you've given me this money, how much should I spend on myself? We begin to see things in a different way. Thirdly, get out of debt. The Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. You, you know, I, I, America is one of the most enslaved cultures in the world because of that. Now again, 
It's a not, much better slavery than actual slavery because you have a car to show for it. But the point is uh, that, that you become enslaved. And you've probably felt that, sla- you know, as you get that bill in the mail and you open it up and you just remember, oh, they got, you know, this is, oh, that, that's it. Number four, we talked about this in our small group. Ask why. Why am I buying this? What am I trying to accomplish? Do I have some of this already? What, what am I, kind of like what I did at Costco. Why, why, what is it that I'm trying to do here? And let's just pick a blouse or something. I'll pick on the ladies because we already picked on my drills and I can't get them now. So we gonna, you can't buy your blouse. Okay, here, so you, you, you know, there you are. You see it, it's on sale, which is already just the ticket to pull out the credit. If it's on sale... You'd be crazy not to buy it, really. But you you see it and you just go through your mind. Why? Why do I need it? Do I have, will I be naked? No. Okay. Well, you know, start there. And then it's like, and then you move on. Okay, why, why, why? Well, because I want, oh, because you want it? No, 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 no. Forget that. I need it. Okay, why do you need it? And you just go through that process. You will find an incredible amount that of what is actually behind that purchase has really nothing to do with the item and more to do with your own value, comfort, and all these types of things. God wants to meet you there. So ask why. Here's, here's the kicker as, as um, Ajwa comes back up. And hopefully you all got a card with some of these exercises this week of giving away some things um, this week. Um, but uh, here, here's one that'll get you. Um, ask permission. Now some of us, Maybe you have to ask permission to your wife. I'm not talking about that. You keep doing that. Um, But some of us have been out of the house for a long enough time. Um, When I grew up, uh, uh, my parents had zero money. And so when I got my paper out at 12, it was just to accumulate wealth. Because I didn't, I wanted to, if I wanted something, I wanted to be able to buy it. So I didn't, by the time I was 12, I wasn't asking my parents if I could buy stuff. I had the money to buy it. Okay, so I haven't had to ask permission to buy something in a very long time. And most of you are probably the same way. But imagine like a little kid, the Bible says to come to God like a child. We go into Costco, we go into these places and we say, Lord, can I get that? Any of you have kids where they're like, oh, everything's at their level. I need that. And what do you say to you? You don't need that. It's a thing. It's going to be broken in two days. It's a plastic thing. It's too expensive. Get a job. You know, whatever. It's like, it's like whatever you say to your kid, you know, you know, all those arguments. Well, what do you need that for? And what do we say? You got two of them. You don't even play with the ones you have. Imagine you go into a store. God, can I buy that? What do you need that for? You had one and you didn't even use it. Right? You need another one? You're just getting that because so, if so-and-so told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? You know, all that kind of thing. Listen, this is a sweet time between you and your Heavenly Father of being able to submit yourself to Him. To say, God, do I really need this? What am I trying to accomplish? 